Welcome to Practical Christian Living. What God cares about is how we treat people. I think that that is foremost on the mind of God. That we as Christians need to treat people with justice or we could say fairly. That we want to be fair to people. We want to be right. We want to treat people right. And we don't want to tear someone down. Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment. He said, love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. We might get caught up on keeping a list of do's and don'ts when it comes to following Christ, but above all else, may we follow Jesus' most important command to love. Here's today's message out of James chapter 4. It begins with a reminder about the dangers of judging others. We hope you'll stay with us for this edition of Practical Christian Living. Here's Robert Furrow. Father, we want to thank you again for your word. We thank you that we don't have to wonder about what you want from us or how you want us to live, that we have been given guidelines. And the way that you did it, by giving us the gospels, by giving us Acts, the history of the new church, and then by giving us letters that were written to these different churches that were out there. And here as we study one of those letters, James, writing to people that he used to pastor, really loving and caring for them and wanting the struggles and the battles, the fights within the different churches to cease. Lord, we pray that we would open up our hearts, that we would understand what these things mean and how we can really and truly love one another, humbling ourselves before you. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet saw the Lord high and lifted up. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And I said, woe am I for I am a man of unclean lips. One of the things of Isaiah seeing God, whatever that vision was of the train of his robe filling the temple, the glory being filled, whatever it was, he turned to himself. He saw himself in the light of who God was. The immediate response for him was to fall down on the ground and to confess his sin to confess that he was not who he should be, that he was a man of unclean lips. And you remember that an angel flew around and grabbed a coal from the altar and touched his lips with the coal to cleanse the lips of Isaiah. Isaiah was called to be a mouthpiece of God and Isaiah felt unworthy to do so. And seeing God, he humbled himself before him. I believe the more we see God, the more we know him, the more we have a real, profound relationship with him, the more we humble ourselves before God. The more we see him, the more we see us. The more we know who we really are. And it's easy for us to do what James has said two times in the chapter that we're covering, and that is to humble yourself before the Lord. If you don't humble yourself, if you exalt yourself, then God will bring you down. But if you can humble yourself, then he'll lift you up. Whether it comes to salvation, first meeting God, you've got to humble yourself to do that. You've got to say, I need him in my life. That's a hard thing for us to do. 
or whether you're a Christian who needs to humble yourself by saying, Lord, I want to walk as you want me to walk and I want to humble myself before you. That's the last verse we covered last week, right? Verse 10 here in chapter four, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. I think the rest of the chapter is God speaking to us about specific things that are getting in the way of us humbling ourselves before the Lord. How can I humble myself before God because I want God to be the one that is going to lift me up? And so he says in verse 11, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. That sounds like a really broad statement. Don't speak evil of one another, brethren. Don't talk bad about somebody that's doing something bad. Don't talk about someone's sins. Don't be a tail bearer. The Bible talks about those who are tail bearers that just like to run around and talk about people's sin and what they're doing and what they did and what they're involved in. And, and don't slander. Don't be malicious in your speech. It would seem that that statement would be a broad statement. But when you break down the words, it's not that broad. The word here for evil speaking is literally the word for backbiting. It's the word for talking about someone behind their back. It is a literal picture of slander, of saying something that you don't want someone to hear you say about them because it's not true. In legal terms, it would be defamation of character. You're tearing someone down, which by the way, is illegal. If you print lies about someone, you can be brought up on charges for the lies that you say. In Proverbs, we're told there are seven things that God hates. It says there are six things God hates. Yea, there are seven things that God hates. One of them is a man that sows discord among brethren. And another one is a man who carries false things about people bearing false witness. I'll also remind you that this whole idea of bringing up something false about someone, destroying their character, assassinating that person's reputation is also what was in mind in what's called the Decalogue or what we know better as the Ten Commandments. That the Ten Commandments doesn't say, thou shalt not lie. I'm not saying that lying is a good thing, although at times you might not know what to say. Yes, honey, I love the dress. Right? Not saying lying's a good thing. Not saying it's good. All right. But what does it say in the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not bear false witness. What God cares about is not so much whether or not you're telling the truth about liking a dress. What God cares about is how we treat people. I think that that is foremost on the mind of God that we as Christians need to treat people with justice or we could say fairly, that we want to be fair to people. We want to be right. We want to treat people right and we don't want to tear someone down and we don't want to accuse them falsely. Do you know that the Bible says that Satan is a slanderer and that if we are a slanderer, we become the very thing that he is. We're doing the very thing that Satan is. Satan is a slanderer of God. Satan wants to slander him and destroy his character any way he can. In the temptation of Eve, that's clearly seen. Remember? He shows up. Did God say you can't eat of any of the trees in the garden? 
immediately questions God's goodness. God had said of all of the trees that are in the garden, you may freely eat. God gave them all, but he said, but one that is in the middle, don't eat of that one. So Satan points the attention there. Has God said you can't eat of any of these trees in the garden? Saying God didn't really care about you. All God wants to do is stop. And he destroyed or he attacked God's character to Eve until finally she took it and ate. I believe that that's spiritual warfare. I believe the enemy wants to attack God's character to you. The enemy wants you believing something false about God. And when you and I speak falsely about one another, whether we know it's false or whether it's something that we've heard that we haven't checked out, but we think is true, that might end up being false, then we do the very thing that this verse tells us not to do. Do not speak evil. Do not backbite. Do not lie about one another, tearing one another down. Now he goes on to say here, In verse 11, again, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. And he points out, I think, the first reason that you and I should not slander one another. And that is that we are brethren. We have a bond. We have a tie. We have been brought into a family together. We have a connection in Christ And if Jesus died for you, and if I have had my sins forgiven by that wondrous work on the cross, and you have had your sins forgiven by that wondrous work on the cross, and if you are now a child of his, and I'm a child of his, and then I say some lie about you because perhaps I'm jealous, because maybe I've got malice, I want you to be hurt. Maybe something you said or did hurt me and I want to strike you back. But as a child of God, I now tell a lie about you. The Bible tells us that to have a good reputation is better than silver or gold. Isn't that amazing? What the world really wants is silver and gold, right? What it represents. That's what the world wants. And God says, your reputation being a good reputation is far better than having all the silver and the gold in the world. And therefore, if I tear you down to someone and I steal that reputation from you, where that person thought well of you because of a reputation you had earned, and I tear that down, that is evil. I'm even going to go further with it. That is demonic. I believe that the enemy is working in our hearts that we would destroy people's reputations when we backbite and slander, when we lie about those that are around us, when we don't let the things that we say lift people up. See, we've got a choice with our words. We can lift people up. We could say things about someone that makes them look good in the eyes of someone, or we can tear them down. We can say something that makes somebody look bad in the eyes of someone. And I believe that it is pure evil and something that God will deal with if we have that malicious, slanderous, backbiting. And oftentimes, it's just a matter of our flesh. Sometimes there's really no malice intended. Sometimes we, we didn't want to destroy them. We didn't want to destroy their reputation. If we thought about it, we, we didn't want to do that. It's simply a matter of our flesh. 
It feels good to talk about somebody behind their back. Because if I talk about you behind your back, I'm elevating myself. I'm putting myself in a position where I say, did you hear what they did? I would never do such a thing, but they did that. How unbelievable that they did it. And so you exalt yourself when you maliciously attack someone. When you do what this word for speaking evil against someone means. You're lifting yourself up at the expense of someone else. So when the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up, one of the first ways to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord is not to stand as judge over anybody. Is to realize, who am I to talk about you? Who am I to talk about something false about you? Who am I to put myself in judgment over you? Yes, I can now talk about you because I'm a judge. You are now doing the opposite of what James tells us. You're exalting yourself instead of lowering yourself, instead of humbling yourself, you're exalting yourself. And I can't emphasize enough how much I believe this breaks God's heart when we tear one another down, when we backbite, when we, the Bible says you're gonna devour one another, you're fighting against one another, you're, you're gonna devour one another. You're taking away the ability for us to be able to do the work that God's called us to do in the world because we exalt ourselves to a certain position. And so he goes on to say in verse 11 again, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. And then five times, he's gonna use that in just a few sentences. Look on a little bit further. He goes on to say, he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil. So he's talking about this connection that we've got. If you're my brother in Christ, then why would I tear you down? If I'm your brother in Christ, why would you tear me down? He then goes on to say, he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. If you're going to slander a brother and you're going to judge him, then you're going to speak evil of the law as well. Because here you are breaking the law by judging someone and claiming that they broke the law. So he's pointing out a point of hypocrisy in evil speaking. You're making yourself look good because you're talking about someone, you're tearing them down, you're defaming their character, and you yourself are breaking the law at that very moment because the law says, thou shalt not bear false witness. And you're bearing false witness of an individual. Again, this is not being a tailbearer. I think being a tailbearer is wrong as well. But at least there's some truth to, to tailbearing. But I'm talking about actually slandering someone, carrying on something that is not true. We put ourselves in a position of being a judge. Put something there and, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. I want to read what Jesus has to say about putting yourself as a judge over people. Because once you begin to speak negatively about someone, once you begin to defame their character, you begin to slander them, you're setting yourself up as a judge over them. You're saying, I have the right to talk about them. To judge someone is to take that position over their lives where you can now judge what they do. If someone in the church gets involved in a sin, that sin needs to be confronted. Often someone will say, you're judging me. Don't judge me. We're just dealing with the sin. That's all. Just the sin. If I then say to that person, 
I know why you did this. I know what's in your heart. And you're never coming back to the church again because I know what you are. I know who you are. I know why you did this. Now I've taken the position of a judge over them. If someone in the church has done something that we feel is so severe that we need to remove them, that's one thing. But to claim that I know what's in their heart or what they're all about, that's another. That's all of a sudden standing as a judge over them. So often people will say, they're involved in an affair. They're continuing to go to the church, but they're involved in an affair. And we finally say, listen, as long as you're in this affair, you cannot come back to the church anymore. We've made that line. And they'll say, don't judge me. You're judging me. We're not judging you at that point. All, all we're doing is saying, when there's sin that is known in the church and the person's continuing to come, we cannot let it stay because we will keep impurities in the church. And the Bible says, remove that person out of love, out of a point of saying, we want to discipline you so you know that it's wrong, so you'll come back to Christ. But if I say to that person that we're removing, you're in this affair. I know you don't really love Jesus. I know you don't care about all of a sudden I turn to his motives. I turn to his heart, something I can't see. Now I begin to judge that individual. For all I know, that person might walk out of the church, repent and turn wholeheartedly back to the Lord and be closer to Jesus than he's ever been before. I have no right to judge his heart. I have no right to condemn him. I have no right to say to him, you're on your way to hell or you're going to hell. I have a right to say, as long as you're doing this, you cannot come back to the church but I don't have a right to condemn him and I don't have a right to put to motives what he does. And so Jesus is speaking of this in Matthew chapter seven, where Jesus says, judge not that you not be judged. He's clearly saying, if you're a judgmental person, if you say, I know your motives, I know what you're about. He's saying, I'm going to judge you by those same standards. And I've said it so often, but it's worth repeating. If I'm going to be judged by the way I treat people, by the way I judge people, then, then I want to be really nice to you. I want to be really nice to everybody because I want God to be as merciful to me as God can possibly be. Don't you? Is there anybody here who could say otherwise? Is there anybody here who goes, no, I want God to be the hardest judge on me that he could possibly be? I'm just curious, anybody? Maybe there is, I don't know. Sometimes people have weird thoughts. Maybe you, you think that. I don't. I want God to pour his grace upon me and his mercy upon me. He says, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at a speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? That's a pretty funny picture that Jesus pulls up here. Guy's got a plank, a board sticking out of his eye. Let me get that speck out of your eye. Watch out! Board flying around, protruding out of a guy's eye. He says there's this obvious hypocrisy. And Jesus now, here in this passage, as he's talking about judgment and motives, he now turns to that hole where we can all of a sudden be sin sniffers, when we're the gospel Gestapo, when we want to run around and look at you got this sin in your life and you got that sin in your life and you got this sin in your life trying to, to get everybody else straightened out. And it's a pretty ugly thing. I think there's enough in our lives for us to make sure that we're walking with Jesus the way that we're supposed to, to keep us busy and to keep us out of other people's business. In the New Testament over and over again, near the end of the letters, the authors, Paul and others, would write not to be a busybody, just out there in everybody else's business. So Jesus says, get rid of the plank in your own eye 
And then verse four, or how can you say to your brethren, let remove the speck in your eye and look, there's a plank in your own eye, hypocrite. First remove the plank in your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You'll be a lot more merciful too because you had a plank in your eye and he had a speck in his eye. And so when you see a speck, you're gonna go, don't worry about it. I see this, I can help you out with it. I used to have a plank in my eye. You got a speck in your eye. You're a whole lot better off. It's humble, right? It's a humble thing. When you've evaluated yourself, when you know who you really are, when you're not pretending, I'm better than you, I'm more spiritual than you, when you're not, all that stuff's put aside. And so Jesus goes on to say then in verse six, do not give what is holy to the dogs. That's, let's go back to, um, to James. So James now wants to talk a little bit about judging, even as Jesus did. And so he says in verse 12, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? That's a good question. Who am I to set in judgment in the life of someone else? The answer to that is nobody. A while ago, we were a regional church for Arizona for many years, and there's, there's a regional pastors now, and I'm on a board of men that are regional over the area. A while back, a couple guys called me that were out of our region. There was something going on. There was a conflict between the Calvaries in the area, and I knew one of them. So I had been, my name had been brought up. Now, I'm on a board for the region of Arizona and New Mexico and Texas. It's kind of the southwestern region, but I'm not on a board in, in this area. And so they send me this, this long letter, all three of these guys explaining their position. And I read about half of it. And then I finally called them. And I said, listen, the whole tone of your letter, I just want you to know something. I, I have nothing to do with this. You guys don't have to explain anything to me. You guys are explaining all this to me. I, you don't have to explain anything to me. I'm no one. I'm nobody. I have no desire. Because at the end of the letter, they had said, if this isn't enough for you, we'd like to get together and explain more to you. So you don't have to explain anything to me. I don't want to be responsible over the area I'm responsible over much less the area that I'm not responsible over. It's like, who am I? Who am I to judge anybody? Look, I have a hard enough time doing my own thing. I just want to do my own thing. And who am I to sit in judgment over someone? Romans 14, there's a statement that goes the same, and along the same lines. It says that one man puts one day above other, another day, another man sees every day alike. They had the conflict of what day to worship on early in the church, just like there is today. You have seven-day Adventists, people who think you ought to worship on Saturday or Sunday. And he talks about that in their day. One guy says one day's better. Another guy says all days are the same. And then he says, who are you to judge another man on what day they worship? Who are you to tell somebody what day they ought to worship on? Who are you to tell somebody whether or not they can eat meat or not? Who are you to go to someone's life and say, this is what you ought to do as a Christian. This is what I'm doing. This is what you ought to do as a Christian. We all have enough trouble just to deal with ourselves and walk before God in integrity without running around, pointing our finger and telling other people what they ought to be doing. The answer to the question from James, who are you to judge anyone? The answer is nobody, nobody. I just want mercy in the end. (laughs) And I want to give mercy And here's what I know. And I love that Romans 14 says this as well. 
It says, who are you to judge him? He stands and falls before God. Then he throws this in. God's able to make him stand. God's able to come into his true child and bolster him up and work those things out. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.